Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost and Criterion. I'm John Patrick Owatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who's regularly released from jail to participate in boat jousting. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and it's actually the only reason I've been out of jail uh, at all. Luckily, you're a boat, a boat jousting champion, so you get out fairly often. Before we get into our movie this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon, patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Uh, for just a dollar a month, you can support us over there and get access to a bonus episode. You get to vote on what bonus, uh, what movie we're going to watch for that bonus episode. They're always non-criterion 50, films. 50-50 chance they have Kurt Russell in them. 50-50 chance they have Kurt Russell in them. Uh, also, a separate 50-50 chance that uh, they were directed by Sidney Lumet. <laughs> right. um, oh, that, that perfect storm. Yeah. Uh, I don't think uh, Kurt the, Russell was yeah, ever I was, in a Now I'm going to go look that up while so. you talk. Yeah. Uh, you figure that out. But uh, we watch a lot of fun stuff over there, a lot of interesting stuff. It's always sort of the whim of the list, uh, which usually I put together, sometimes based on movies we watched recently, sometimes just based on what's going on in the world. Uh, recent lists, for instance, were movies that were uh, uh, scored by uh, Ennio Maricón, uh, because he died at the beginning of July. Um, we ended up watching The Thing from that, uh, the John Carpenter film that I absolutely love, and I'm so glad that Pat loved as well. Um, but, you know, we've also watched things like Aliens or uh, Critters 2. Uh, <laughs> so it's a, it's a wide swath. Um, but we always, uh, we always enjoy it over there. Uh, if you'd like to help out and keep us going here on the main podcast that is patreon.com slash lost in criterion we do have a couple other tiers uh the five dollar and above tier there's actually no one in right now um and that is literally it's it's you get access to the vote but to facilitate people wanting to give us a little bit more money we also thank those people on air uh, but like I said, there's no one in that tier because everyone in the $5 tier popped up to the $10 and above recently, yes, which is something did. that I think is really, really great. Uh, the $10 and above, uh, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we've watched recently. I get that printed up on postcards, write a little personalized note to you, and mail that off. Uh, Sometimes so, it's nice. Yeah, we, sometimes it's of actual haunting that I'm mailing to you. Depends. Some, some, sometimes they are very scary. Um but uh, we also like to thank those ten dollars and above supporters on air. So thank you so much to uh, the six people we have in that uh, space right now. Thank you to Adam Speakerman, to Jonathan Hape, to Patrick Yako, Michael McGrath, Jason Westhaver, and Christopher Otto. Yes, thank you very much. Ten dollars or above. Yeah, I know you all hated it, but man, that Godzilla one is still one of my favorite ones of ever. Godzilla one was ridiculous. I don't know why. Horrific. I don't. I don't know why, but it's still. I think about it all the time. So that is uh, patreon.com slash lost in criterion if you want to help out. Pat, did you learn anything about uh, Kurt No, I and... discovered that at various times, Sidney Lumet has worked with people named Kurt and people named yeah. Russell, but not Kurt Russell. 
<laughs> well, um, by the transitive property, he's worth the right, third right, Russell, then. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, yeah, so that's know. that's all I can say about that. Like I was, re- there was a hit on it, and I was like, oh my god, we're here, we've arrived at the promised land, and then I discovered that 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 phenomenon, which was kind of uh, saddening, really. So this week we are in a very interesting position as far as the Criterion Collection is concerned. Uh, we are going to talk about one of the films from a box set called Four by Agnes Varda. However, two of the films, and the first two that would be in that box set, uh, we've already talked about. Right. Cleo from 5 to 7 and Vagabond, we talked about, oh, goodness, six I or mean, seven yeah, years I mean, ago. Do they deserve to be watched again by us? Yes, they do. Oh, absolutely. Does that violate actually... the rules and structure of this system? <laughs> right. Yes, it does. Uh, Christopher Otto, one of our $10 supporters on Patreon, asked me a question about Cleo from 5 to 7 recently, and I decided that uh, I should probably just yeah. rewatch Cleo from 5 yeah, to I 7. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, so I, I did. I did so in order to facilitate answering his question, and it is a great movie, and I highly recommend watching it again. But we're not going to talk about it again, yeah. necessarily. I, I'm planning uh, to probably watch it before we watch the next one is kind of my plan, because I was yeah. like, I, we... You should get back. 300 episodes, we did not give it the due (laughs) that it deserved. I am (laughs) certain of that. Right, right. I did not Um, understand the new wave. That's clear to me. Yeah. Uh, I still stand by some of my statements about some of the new wave movies because some of them are still garbage. Um, (laughs) And 400 Blows is still not garbage. No, absolutely still amazing. Uh, Yeah. That one I'm suspecting is definitely not garbage and just needs me to watch it again. No, Cleo Revive the Seven is not garbage, and I highly recommend watching it. I don't think we said it was garbage. I think I probably was fairly dismissive. No, we didn't. And Vagabond I I absolutely loved um, when we watched. I don't even remember Uh, it, honestly. That's part of the problem. But yeah, the four by Agnes the the four by Agnes Varda box set therefore only contains two new movies to us <laughs> and a couple of shorts that we will eventually talk about. Uh, well, we're going to make this them week. An we're episode, talking about right? we discussed that. Yeah, so. yeah, we'll we'll make that an episode um, after after all of this is done. Um, but the uh, point court from 1955 is the first one up on that list. Then uh, there is actually a further Criterion box set, the complete films of Agnes Varda. Uh, which is unfortunately unspined, so we won't have to go through that. I mean, um, that doesn't sound unfortunate of, in the sense that we, I mean, like, we'll be, I mean, I want to watch more of her films, but yeah. I also don't want to, like, eventually, if this keeps happening, we're going to be like, well, we're going to watch one more of this nine box set, or this nine film yes. box set. We're going to watch this one additional film we haven't seen already. Right, right. Uh, but that does uh, that does cover her entire career uh and i believe was released posthumously so it should cover her entire career period right uh as far as extant work uh up until uh varda by agnes a 2019 uh retrospective finale that she produced herself uh so yeah um by produced i mean directed as well i mean it's it's her work about her work uh but yeah so look into that what, uh, i'm what sure what am it's... i looking at here i'm wait a minute i don't know what you're no, looking at I'm i looking don't at have your eyes le petit amour is translated into english as kung fu master oh yeah it's uh it's about a i 
a guy who plays his favorite arcade game, Kung Fu Master. Um, which but is a like scrolling beat up. Titled Le Petit Amour in French. Yeah, I mean that's obviously that's you know, it's that's the little love. Right. Um, yeah. I mean so. that those that seems fairly divergent <laughs> in the naming yeah. scheme there. Yeah. Sorry, that one took me off guard. I was like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Go on. Continue telling me things about uh Now that you've got me completely distracted. Yeah. You're yeah, welcome, about, by the way. I like Varda. Um mm-hmm. she does a lot of uh sh- documentary stuff moving forward after this this is her very first film one of her last documentaries uh aside from autobiographical one um it's called faces places uh which actually does get an accurate and and wonderful translation from the french uh which is uh villages visages in the french um or I might be switching those, but nonetheless, they keep the word play and essentially the meaning in the English translation of the title, uh, which is great. But yeah, she she does some wonderful work. She's also got a short documentary on the Black Panthers that I keep meaning to watch and forgetting to watch. Yeah, you so told me about to that. that I have not watched it either, but I want yeah. to. This week, though, is, as I said, The Point Court. Uh, this is her very first movie. Um, I... A release date on this is a little sort of iffy. Um, well, since it took two years to get it, yeah, it was in the theater. Its its release date on uh, on Wikipedia is listed as May nineteen fifty five, which is the Con Festival of nineteen fifty five. Right. Um. Then they list a. Uh, a Paris premiere in 56, um, but also it maybe wasn't widely watched by the public until much, much, much later, decades later. Uh, but pretty much everyone in the French New Wave saw this movie when it came out. <laughs> Which is, well, you know, I, okay, like what's fascinating, I'm so deeply fascinated yeah. well, by it's, how it's delightfully and weirdly insular the French New Wave actually is in practicality because it only showed at that theater in Paris, but they all watched it. And so it directly inspires them all to do this, basically. But, like, literally no other human being had seen this movie. Right, right. It's like that. It's like that Brian Eno quote about the Velvet Underground that they didn't sell many records, but oh, everyone right. who bought one went out and started a band. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not a yeah. lot of people. Not a lot of people saw La Pointe Court, but everyone who saw it wrote a film manifesto. So, right, right. They all stopped their 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 film critique career at that magazine yeah. that they were all working at, and then yes. decided to do this instead. Yeah, and, which, and which also, actually, when you think about, it, I want to. Okay, go ahead. Sorry, I just I well, was thinking all, about that. I was a just lot. going. You think about that, but I was going to add that that also Agnes Varda, who's only two years older than Goddard, uh, gets then called, gets like, called grandma. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's that's where I was actually kind of going the same places. Yeah. Think about like she seems to take it in stride in these interviews, mm-hmm. but like think about how like on a real fundamental fucked up level that is because like. They all watched this amazing thing made by this woman who literally broke their brains, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, well, I can do that too. 
<laughs> Go yes. fuck yourself, dude. How about you don't? <laughs> How about you let her do it? Like, I know uh, they produced some amazing works. I get it. Like, I agree. Yeah. Yes, they did produce some amazing works. But, like, and then she's literally the only woman in the French New Wave from then on. Right. Right. Like, what the fuck, yeah. man? <laughs> a yeah. bunch of dudes got in on it, and then, like, essentially, that was it. That, it's, I don't know. Like, again, the, some amazing things happened because of it. But nonetheless, it's kind of fucked up. The end of Faces Places uh it is mostly a documentary about Varda traveling with this visual artist named JR and they go around to different villages and uh uh produce large scale pieces of art based on the people there. Like they'll they'll find someone, talk to them, take a photo of them and and make a like ten by ten picture of that photo mm-hmm. and paste it to a wall somewhere in town. Mm-hmm. Um usually usually environmentally set. Um, some really interesting pieces that they did for that. But it ends with them going to meet Goddard, and they have traveled specifically to meet Goddard in whatever town Goddard is living in at the time. And um, they spend the night in the hotel, they get up in the morning, they're going to meet Goddard for breakfast, and they get to Goddard's house, and Goddard has left a note on the door that says, uh, I thought that I would give you the ending to your movie. And he never shows up. Yeah, it checks out. And I don't know how much of that is really staged, right? Because there's a chance it is. Yeah. That this is some discussion they had and they thought it would be funny. Certainly Goddard thought it would be funny in any way. Uh, But... But yeah, so he tells them they're going to meet and he's going to be in their documentary and they've got the crew with them and then they show up and he's just not there. And uh, yeah, uh, that's that seems yeah. indicative of Goddard's relationship yeah. with, with Varda through the whole the whole thing, the entire French New Wave. Right. Um, uh, this is her debut film. Uh, according to one of the interviews with her on the on the Criterion Channel and on the DVD, uh, she had never seen a, an Italian New Wave film prior to making this, despite the fact that the unscripted parts of this uh, feel very much like an Italian neorealist film. Right. Uh, the Criterion essay quotes her in a, uh, I think, late 90s, interview events claiming that she had never seen any movie period prior to making this really when pressed that that obviously was not true (laughs) she suggests that she had only ever seen citizen kane prior to this what (laughs) which doesn't make sense is the only movie you would ever see (laughs) right (laughs) Well, I went and saw that. I wasn't impressed, so I didn't see any more. Right. So mostly it feels like, you know, a, an artist not wanting to talk about their influence, which is fine. Um, right. Although I'd rather an artist just say that personally. Right. right almost right, always. Right. Like, don't don't yeah. bullshit me. Just, yeah. Right. No, I don't, I don't like to talk about it. And I don't get, there's no context. And I didn't see a video of Varda answering the question about 
claiming she'd never seen any movie. So there's also a chance that she was obviously joking yeah, it was just when a she joke, said it. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um, or she had been called like a bunch of people to give her shit for the Italian new wave <laughs> thing and just decided to like yeah. fuck with people by right. double down, doubling down on it. Right. Like, no, actually, I've never seen a movie before. Yeah. Then absolutely. or now. I can definitely believe that. Yeah, I mean, uh, she definitely, it seems like she doesn't like to take shit from people very much. Right, right. Yeah. Right. Um, this film is set in, set, um, a uh, area of southeast France on the Mediterranean border uh, where Varda had spent the war, uh, her family hiding out down there, uh, and then she returned every summer. Um, for many years, she says. So she had a good relationship with the local fishermen uh, and, and the people of the village uh, to the point where, uh, I don't know if you noticed, but in the opening credits, the people of the village get a writing credit for this movie. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, that was really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she talks about their sort of idiosyncratic idiom Um Particularly, she calls out the, uh, uh, what was the one about... Uh, I, I've crapped half my craps already or whatever. <laughs> yes. It's yes. the best one ever. I Like, they, like yeah. the funny thing is, I don't even remember that translation being in the main movie. Oh, it which is. Which makes me it think is. that, like, was it? Yeah. Like, I felt like they must have, like, worded it differently because I was like, wait, what now? <laughs> like, I just watched this movie. Where When did they say, like, I remember that conversation, but I didn't remember. I've already, like crapped half my craps or whatever yeah yeah this is such a weird uh, weird weird uh phrase it's such a delightfully weird phrase but she she says that was something that was said locally yeah uh, so she put it in and for the most part the the villagers are all played by actual villagers though they maybe shot this without sound no they definitely shot it without sound that's straight up what she said yeah. she's like it's yeah She's like, it was interesting because she starts to say, like, one of the things we did as though, like, as a list of, like, creative choices she made. And then she corrects herself yeah. and be like, well, actually, we had to. Yeah. Like, we they couldn't shot it without get sound. sound. Like, they couldn't access so, a voice recorder of any sort. Yeah. So they had to overdub all the villagers with uh, uh, actors doing accents that uh, the villagers apparently hated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think it was yeah. Gave, from her, the gave her shit about that like one for because, decades. Yeah, apparently, just uh, well, I mean, yeah, they they didn't hear their they watched themselves talk and then heard a different voice come out, right? And it's like whoa, what's going right, now? Right, right. Um, the couple in the film, uh, the other story in the film that is not the realism, um, but is staged and almost bressity. In oh yeah, no, acting. like again, <laughs> um, like you're like, wait a minute, is this where this comes from? Yeah, uh, I can't. The release dates on Bresson's stuff when he was doing that sort of thing, um, I think are post this. I mean, Al Al Hazar Balthazar is 1966. Yeah, uh, Pit Pockets, 59. I mean, that uh, would be fast by, like, the sort of standards of what we're talking about. That's a quick... Yeah. I mean, Diary of a Country Priest was... Is prior. Is 51, so... Yeah, and is maybe... 
maybe hints of where. Right. But doesn't have the same effect as like Balthazar is like like the one yeah. for me that's like, ah oh, yes. If you act, you're out of the movie. <laughs> right, right. Um, but yeah, it's been long enough that I've, since we've seen Diary of a Country Priest that I can't, I can't speak yeah, exactly. to whether yeah. whether or not Bresson was was borrowing ideology ideologically from this as well. Uh, it's certainly possible, um, but maybe not. Uh, yeah, just maybe not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah. Um, they were both trained actors, um, stage actors, principally, um, and both agreed to be in the movie for free. The uh, the male lead agreed to be in the movie for free just because he wanted to be in a movie. Right. <laughs> they made this for $14,000, um, about 100 uh, francs, 100, 100 mil, I'm sorry, 1 million francs, uh, which uh, was a tenth of the average budget of uh right of a french film at the time uh mostly finance she got a little inheritance and her mom sold, sold a bunch of stuff stuff yeah that was <laughs> yeah. i like it was also very vague in the thing she's yeah. like sold some stuff <laughs> yes, that are important yes. and i was like what did she sell <laughs> like this interview needs to be at least five minutes longer i need to know yeah. what that was we need we definitely need some follow-up because it sounded so least. cagey the way she said it too yeah. like sold yeah. some f- important things and i'm like uh, what did your mother sell yeah. you, secretly her mother has one lung and one kidney um the structure of the film is based on faulkner's the wild well, right that that very that that, yeah. that split yeah i mean i don't yeah. i don't know how much that otherwise it has in common not very much well, the, i mean one's an escaped convict yeah, Wild Wild Palms is the story of a pair of escaped convicts on a raft down the Mississippi, uh, interposed with the story of also a couple having a discussion about their relationship. So I mean, I guess that part, um, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, certainly, the framing of it is is different as well, because here we get the couple. the The man is returning to his hometown for the first time in years, and his wife comes to see him. And they talk a lot. Well, I mean, yeah, of course. I they, mean, a major difference being that, like, what's, they are at least in the same place. Yeah. Whereas Wild Palms one... is not that way, as far as I understand it. Yeah. They're uh, the one thing the woman says at the end, the friend they're staying with, the wife of the friend they're staying with, they talk too much to be happy. It's yeah. My favorite, my favorite yeah. line. Uh, and then it's silence between the two of them for at least a good two yeah. seconds or something like that yeah. like in film time yeah. it was very poignant it was like and now we're done talking because <laughs> we're <laughs> right. happy right um they uh this movie was edited by Resnais Elaine Resnais um or Resnais rather probably I don't know it's French you gotta drop some some consonants just pick a couple consonants and be like you don't yeah. fucking welcome here yeah. Uh never known how to say his name. We've talked about his movies. I've never known how to say his yeah, name. Yeah, I mean he uh, did Night and Fog I see on the thing. Yeah. I don't really oh, remember yeah, much fun. about him specifically, but Yeah. Uh but uh but yeah. He edited this. He didn't he had previously told her that if she made a movie he'd edit it. 
uh, and then she actually made a movie. And, and like, ah, shit, that bit me in the ass. Mm. It's like, well, do uh, do XX and X, and then I'll I'll think about it. And then she did that as well, and he's like, man, this and is then, not working out well. And then she did she did like three weeks of work overnight. Is basically yeah. how it's presented. Uh, I just like the idea that him. like it's very funny to me the idea that he like kept like essentially blowing her off, giving her a thing he thought she would never do. And then she kept yeah. coming back and be like, so I did that thing you told me to do. And he's like, oh, yeah. I, that was, I thought it was going to work this time. Yeah. So this is chronologically the first French New Wave film. According to the French New Wave Wikipedia page, this did not have a commercial lease until 2008. I don't know what that draws from, what that claim is from. But, I um, mean, probably the first criterion release of it or something stupid that's, like that. That's probably... Yeah, that might very well be accurate. Uh, the uh, 400 Blows was 59. Breathless wasn't until 60. So, you know, she's got five or six years on yeah. the closest Well, it's really, really weird because all the th- the statements about the French New Wave in, like, the sort of um, description of it and stuff all are kind of cagey. Like. Yeah. It's like, it's like people don't want this to be the first film of the French New Wave. We've also talked about it, like it very clearly. Is. Let's be super clear here. This is where very clearly bad. There's always there's always talk about what gets talked about as proto New Wave and what gets talked about as actual New Wave, and uh, you know, they Truffaut talks about. The American Morris Engel as being heavily influenced on them with Little Fugitive, which came out in '53, which Varda definitely hadn't seen Little Fugitive, right? Right, <laughs> almost certainly. Uh, and we've talked in the past about what uh, all the different uh, you know, precursors to the new wave. Um, and what all all this meant, like, and then there's always there's the the distinction too, um, the left bank, which is Varda, right, uh, Resnais, Jacques Demi, who Varda actually uh, was married to until his death um, for many years, uh, Chris Marker, Henri Copy too. I don't think we've seen anything from Copy, um, versus the right bank, which was just the Kaiers du Cinema magazine guys, Goddard, Romare, right, Truffaut. and and uh, it's interesting. The discussion of the French New Wave in there is really because you know it goes into like the Left Bank and what it means versus, and it's essentially like oh yeah, sort of like it sort of it's a, the, the the Wikipedia article is pretty fascinating because essentially yeah. defining the difference between like essentially movie crazed people who turn this into like a thing <laughs> to make money. Right. Versus, like, people were treating film like art. <laughs> it's like, oh, boy. Yeah. This Wikipedia yeah. page is throwing punches. Varda, Marco, Resnais, they were, you know, they were leftists making art right. outside of the norm. And, you know, there are politics in Romer, Goddard, and Truffaut, certainly leftist politics, and, mm-hmm. and Goddard more overtly by the end of the 60s, certainly. Uh, but they are still just predominantly writers. 
right? right? And they're and they're cranking out movies like on yeah. in the way that film producers of this era of era previous and post crank out movies, yeah. right? Like one a year for quite a long right. time. Whereas you know you look at the the filmographies for a lot of the it seems like the left bank people, it's a little bit more. I had an idea, so I made this one, and then it was four more years before I had another idea, and I made that one. <laughs> right, right, right. Like, that's what you do when you're, like, making a film is not, like, your sort of, like, day-to-day, the way I'm going to make all my money going forward sort of job, right? Right. Like, Varda has these spurts, right? It's like 50, It's, like, 55, and then... 62, 65, 66, 67 has a run of them, and then 69, and then the next one's 75. It's like, well, okay, well, like, yeah, yeah, that's and it's also it makes sense. It's also important to point out that that even Varda's run there is she made this, and then she made a bunch of short documentaries, and right, her next, exactly, yeah, yeah. Her next narrative film was Cleo from Five to Seven, right, exactly, yeah, and a bunch you know, of documentaries four or five is, you know, years like, later, right. Exactly, and the short films and stuff. It's, I mean, what I mean is like you can tell the sort of people who are able to leverage this into a business. Yeah, like into okay, now I'm a filmmaker who makes films every year, <laughs> right? Because that's what I do for my job. And, and it it's, and it turns out those people were the ones who are already running a successful film magazine. Weird how that works. Yeah, yeah. It's weird again. Sort of getting back to sort of my discussion <laughs> at the beginning. It's weird how the guys who were the guys who were all running a successful film magazine all went and watched this movie in the one time it showed, and then just sort of started making movies kind of like this. Yeah, and we're very financially successful doing it. Weird. The world's a crazy, weird place. Crazy yeah. that. Yeah. And yeah, I think the biggest. The biggest thing on that was was finding out when we're talking about the Romer films, when we found out that talking about six moral tales and found out that Romer was just their boss. Yeah, it's it's, yeah, it's like like after after 400 blows and Breathless had come out, Romer's Romer's like, oh, I could do this, too. Well, yeah, and that's watching all of his employees make movies. Yeah, like it's really like. Honestly, like the more I learn about the French New Wave, the more kind of uncomfortable it makes me. <laughs> like, right. it's like again, I've seen some really amazing stuff that like I really enjoyed, and then like you start reading about it, and it's like, oh boy, this is you guys are all jerks. <laughs> this kind of sucks, guys. Like, y'all kind of just suck. What are you doing? Like I don't know, it's just it's very but weird. like but predominantly the Cahiers to cinema guys. Like, yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, I know. I mean, I'm not including we, we the had left bank problems. people there because the left bank people yeah. are a different sort of situation in a lot of ways. It seems like we had problems with Hiroshima Monomore. Yes, the Resnais work, right? Yes, and and maybe if we revisited, we would we would think differently. About uh, it. maybe yes, I, but that's much more recently. Yeah. And I think yeah. we, we had problems with it. I don't think they were – it wasn't the sort of, like, thrashing that I that I, that I treated yeah. Romer to. But, like – Yeah. Like, I, Hiroshima Monomore had issues that were mostly based in sort of French conceptions of what, for example, a samurai is. I yeah. think if memory serves. It's been a while, but – Well, it – 
Hiroshima Monomore was uh, or is that a, a contemporaneously am I the other one? based? Are you thinking of just Les Samurai? I might be. I get get those all kind of confused. It gets very confusing. Hiroshima on Amor was the love story between uh, a... Oh, uh, right. This one. uh, I believe a a French actress and a Japanese architect. Yeah, Um, I don't remember what we thought about that at this point anymore. I'm th- I was they, they start right. talking about one one way that we got pulled out of it is that in conceptualizing their relationship, they start talking about the traumas that both of them have gone through, and he survived the bombing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whereas she talks about being ostracized. I think. Right, um, yeah, her I family kinda... being ostracized, uh, and like they are very unequal. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, as far I as we were concerned, yeah. is really is is what we got got into, and I think I think maybe we were unfair a little maybe, bit, but I don't maybe. know. We, but, I don't remember you know our exact I, conversation. I don't remember yeah, exactly. I think what at the was end, when movie, we're so. finally done with this, we're going to look back about boy, we were kind of unfair to a lot of movies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but you know, like, that's already an opinion I have a lot of about a lot of what we've watched. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, um, Varda, I love, and I love everything I've seen from her. Not that I've seen a lot from her. Marker, generally, I love. Um, though there was, uh, I think I sent you a link to this. A uh, Resnais and Marker produced. Um, they made a. a a short documentary about African art that on the one hand was a rejection of a lot of colonial French stereotypes about African art. Yeah. Uh, oh, but on yeah, the other hand was this, yeah. a reflection of a bunch of mid-century French stereotypes about <laughs> Africans. Right. Um, and some other, some other weird issues in there too about religious art. But, uh, but yeah, um, generally their work we have connected with and liked, and uh, and Truffaut we've connected with and liked yeah. too. Yeah, generally. I mean, uh, Goddard, it, it, Goddard I mean, is Goddard, and Romer yeah. is beyond. Right. Yeah, <laughs> like Goddard so. has issues. I mean, Truffaut. It's not a hundred percent. Some of Truffaut's stuff has been fucking amazing, and then some of it I'm like, right. yeah, I can take it or leave it. A lot of the a lot of the later. Uh, Antoine films. Yeah, th- those are really what to I'm be thinking made. about specifically here. Like, yeah. what, I'm, I'm talking yeah. in generalities, but that's actually what I'm thinking about. Yeah, yeah. Uh. <laughs> but let's stop. Let's stop talking generalities. Let's okay. talk specifics. This movie. Okay. This, we this movie, and it's it's wonderful. Uh, boat jousting. Oh and... yeah, boat jousting is amazing. I I. I love local fishermen. Her... Yeah, yeah. Well, I I was gonna say I you loved love... watching her diction, her her um, interview at the end because yeah. it it so clearly I, it is amazing to me how successfully she accomplished exactly what she's describing in her interview, yeah. like yeah. the effect she was going. Like a lot of times we watch directors' interviews, and I'm like. Yeah, okay, kinda. You know what I mean? Like you watch a friend right. or you know a director's interview, and you're like, 
yeah, I get what you're going for, but I, you know, I don't know if you were as successful with that thing you're talking about as you think you were. Yeah. No, one hundred fucking percent. Right. Like she's like, oh, you know, that juxtaposition between like this sort of pre-written narrative and then the and the sort of just sort of uh, day in the life new what what what, is, what we think of as the new wave sort of just non-actors right. just doing things and just living their life and and totally different pacing and how they lay over each other and start to feel like they're part of the same story even though they're not. And I was like, holy yeah. shit, this she's is one right. of the. Th- yeah, one of the few times where a director's interview feels like we actually watched the same movie. Exactly. Uh, I was, yeah. I mean, like, I was legit shocked. Like, I was like, wow. Because I was trying to think of, for this discussion, how to frame that a discussion of that concept, that feeling. I was like, these are not, like, I was getting ready, like, in my head while I was watching the movie, I was like, getting ready to talk about how they feel like they're the same, but they don't have anything to do with each other, but they still feel like they're and like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I'll just say, watch that director's interview and you'll be done. Like it's yeah. just, that's the thing. Yeah. It's, uh, it's really amazing. I, it's just that, that feeling of like feeling like you're watching the same movie, even though you're just watching two things that basically have nothing to do with each other. Right. It, right. Yeah. It's amazing. And they never really even interact. Only I mean, very they, briefly, right? Like at, at yeah, at at a point everyone in town is at the festival, but right. other than that, not really. <laughs> and and the townspeople make a couple references, you know, towards the end, yeah. you know, they, as you mentioned, like they they talk too much to be happy. A couple well, of that's those that's things. not even the that's not even the townspeople. That's their friends who they've been oh, staying shit. with. Yeah, you're right. No, yeah. So it's not the. Yeah. It's not I, the rest I sort of, of conceptualize the them as townspeople, yeah. and that's part of probably why it felt like it bled over, right? Like it's like I mean, they are they are also locals, but right, they, they are, are by the no town. means. Yeah, yeah. They but they're not part the of the same. rest of the story of the town. Yeah, yeah. like it's they're just, not it's that other family. Right. It's really interesting. I I really can't. I can't not. This I cannot describe right. how much I really, really enjoyed yeah. watching these yeah. two things interplay. It was really and fascinating. It, it is a testament to how well they interplay that you assume that they are actually interacting. Even well, right, though, and that's exactly right. That was the goal, really right? Don't. Yeah, that right. was the goal, and it just so highly successful. Like, can you imagine? Like, I I think about this with regards to like you know my own job and things like that. Can you imagine being just that unbelievably successful <laughs> that thing you were supposed to do like a thing you're like i'm gonna do this thing and then like the thing you make just knocks it out of the park a thing you just decided to do yeah a thing you just decided too, to make right like kind of apropos of nothing you're like i like this story and i wrote it um, in my garden and then i made a movie of it and it's groundbreaking and invented a new film style in yeah two two new film styles yeah, really yeah, yeah really uh, I, I mean, that's amazing. Like, I can't even process it, really. I, I, yeah. I'm just, re- like, I'm really, really, really overwhelmed by this movie. Like, I just can't. Like, and then, like, the way that the things that happen to the townspeople feel so run-of-the-mill when some of them are so dire. Right. It's like, but it's just a part of life, right? Like, it's just life. Right. It. I, I mean. Like, they're. 
they they open up and they're getting raided by the health officials. Yeah. Because they've been fishing in a place they're not supposed to be fishing in, which and, is yeah. and and storing storing their clams in a way they shouldn't be storing clams. Uh and then one of the kids dies, possibly yeah. from eating bad clams. Well, it's very <laughs> I mean, again, I think that's just juxtaposition. I think it's just right. The fact that it's all part of this, the flow of life, you assume there's causality there. It's yeah. doing the thing that – it's a movie that's actually generating, I think, in a lot of ways, the effect that we all experience with rese- with re- regards to causality versus just, uh, you know, coincidence. Like, mm. the child dying, I don't think, has anything to do with that. Yeah. It's just I- a thing that happens in the story. I mean, like, the movie, I think we assume that they're connected because they happen, one thing's happening and this other thing happening. Right. But, like, even in descriptions of the movie, they are treated as radically separate events. Right, right. No one no one ever implies a causality there in talking about the movie or within the movie. You, as a, as um, a, as a viewer, me too, I assumed at some point somebody was going to reference to, like, oh, maybe yeah. we, like, but the movie never make, never infers that. It's it's crazy. It's wow. It's just wow. Right. Yeah. Uh, it is just wow. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, like everything. Like she, you know, in the interview, she's talking about like the sort of the dark, kind of darker areas of the of the bay where, like, you know, they they store their nets and stuff versus like the bright sun of like the other area. It's like, yeah. <sighs> Wow, can you imagine being that good at a thing just on your first try? <laughs> right. Like, holy crap, right. man. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Pat, if the only movie you had ever seen in your life were- Was Citizen Kane, and you walked Citizen out and you're Kane. like- Citizen uh, Kane. Like, okay. I could do that. Yeah. Well, yeah, not right. that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do but that. But I could make a movie. It's all so contrived. Uh, um. No, I just yeah, I can't. I also love the, I also love the interview where she's talking about uh, how she's really like pressing her favor with the locals. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, we'd ask if we could borrow a boat and tell them it would only be a half hour, and then we'd show up two hours later, and the the guys would say, "Oh, your half hour had a baby." Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's it's so great. I love it. Well, yeah, it's it's really, and when you think about it, right? Like again, like how much this is a film that's born of the fact that like this could only be made because she knew those people well enough for oh, them yeah. to just let her do this. Right. Because like, absolutely you, you would, you like, and, and then you get into this sort of like, when you think about other things later on that we encounter in the new wave and just later versions of filmmaking, right. Where like directors want to generate that feeling, but they start to have to pay all those people because like they don't just, they're not just the people they grew up next door to. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, you want that feeling, but you're, are you ever going to get that feeling? Because she literally just showed up in the town she grew up, well, not grew up in, but you know what I mean? Like did spend a lot, a lot of time in, right? These are all people she knows and they're all doing this for her because she asked them to. And they're trying to be essentially good neighbors. Right. And also they think it's kind of cool. Right. 
Like, yeah. can you even actually generate that experience in later kind of conceptualizations of this style when you're showing up at a place that you didn't spend every summer at and then also the entire war at where you know everybody? Like, you can maybe right. create a facsimile of it, but there's no way you yeah. could actually make this. And where it where it differentiates from the Italian neorealism in so many ways, I think, is that the, the neorealists, when they were returning to their hometowns to make something like this, um, were viewing it through the... Uh, well, I think of Fellini viewing it through sort of the disconnect of exploring his memory of the place, not necessarily right, yeah. the the actuality of the place. But... But then, maybe Fellini's not really an accurate. Uh, well, I, the, I would the say... the neo realism isn't necessarily right. Fellini. By right. the time we I... get to what we consider Fellini, so De Sica and Rossellini and that sort of thing is still a disconnect. In that, I don't, I don't feel like any of those guys necessarily were portraying lives they lived. Right. I don't think right. they were going for this. Right. Like they right. were going for like that authenticity. But yeah, in, in many ways, this is, I think this might, to a certain extent, be a sort of aberration, right? Like, in the sense that, like, the Italian neorealists uh, were, like, going for that feeling of authenticity. But, you know, they're still talking about scripted movies that, you, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think of, like, examples that we could draw from. But well, I think... The neorealists really had a political interest, right, in showing injustice too. In right. in many many of right, their, and that their requires you to decide that you're going to, yep, like when you want to yeah. do that, you're going to have to actually tell a story, right? Like you're just right. going to have to do that if you want to accomplish that. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I don't, I don't want to describe this as apolitical because I think, well, we we by we, its yeah, nature, I mean, we, it is political. Absolutely, um, and and there, and I you would be, yeah. We as we talked about that concept of making an apolitical work is fundamentally right. impossible anyway. Right. This is, you know, the the uh, the ruling class here, as represented by local government and the owners of the shops that they have to sell their goods in are all denigrated <laughs> as far as right. but but by nature of just allowing the locals to sort of be themselves and tell their own story right right um and talk about the things they want to talk about and right right absolutely and 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 i i mean yeah i would never describe this as apolitical no like right. but also political in its sort of meta context because like think about we, what what we've already oh, talked absolutely. about with regards yeah. to the fact that like are there other female french new wave directors no no <laughs> are like i mean this is just the act of making this and the description she gives for the making of this right. is in itself a, a pretty intensely political and and sort of socially yeah. defiant act right Right. Like, she's doing it on, like, 
other French New Wave films get described as being sort of a shoestring budget. This is an actual literal shoestring. Right. Made basically purely on the goodwill of a group of people who wanted yeah. to see it happen. That is a that if there's and the purely sort of like creation of the film is such a an intense political statement. Right. And that's and that's one one regret I have, I feel, in the way we talked about Cleo mm-hmm. was that we don't necessarily Absolutely. contextualize it as that. I don't think we understood as, at the time. <clears throat> yeah. As the story of Varda herself uh rejecting social norms in doing this. Yeah. Right. Yeah, totally. I, I uh, just I don't think we understood at the time and that's because yeah. the way we chose to do this in some ways is kind of shitty. <laughs> right. Like, right. it just is. But it, the beauty of it is is that, like, sometimes we have to do this. And we have to say, like, well, you know, right? we were probably very wrong. I don't remember Listen, how we, we were wrong, but we probably were. If, if we had just chosen to go through every movie the Criterion Collection chronologically, uh, we still wouldn't have watched Salo. And we'd still be years away, from, right? Exactly. From these and if we too, had, probably. and if we decided to just do what I like, I you know I did a a, a dive through Criterion. A lot of them just you know some of them are doing spy numbers, and then some of them are doing like films they like. And there's that's great, but yeah. there's a lot of films we would have just never yeah, watched yeah. in that right. environment. And that's that's why we decided to go through it's it just, by yeah, spy number. Show us whatever, was to whatever, guarantee yeah. that we wouldn't just say, oh, we'll do that one later, and then have right. you know. The end of the project would just be five years of all of the movies we didn't want to watch. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, and then like, uh, and then, but that the 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 downside of that is, is we watched Cleo five to seven probably way too early. Right, right. Like it was just too early, and we didn't get it. And a lot of movies have gotten that sort of short shrift from us, and there's nothing we can do about it except right. for to say we were probably wrong. And I personally am going to go watch that movie again. Like you, prob- you know, this week, but I mean, it won't fix the injustice that we have done. <laughs> right, Sorry, right. Uh, absolutely. And I did watch it more recently, and I, you know, yeah, that's I'm why planning I to. Do, I, I, I almost did it today, and I was, like I that. just didn't have time. I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, it happens. Uh, uh, but yeah, it's. <sighs> I mean, movie. yeah, this no, movie I mean, it's so it's um, so... unbelievably gorgeous. Again, I mean. She oh, was yeah. a photographer. She describes right. herself as a photographer, which I'm sure helps. But, you know, making a movie and shooting, knows, you know, film is not exactly the same. You know, shooting a movie and, like, taking pictures are not exactly the same thing. But she clearly has a strong, strong eye for what a good composition looks like. Right. Because they are, it's quite gorgeous uh, throughout the film. Yeah. When the couple is walking across that field and that train comes through, uh just just the framing of that it's just oh, so yeah. phenomenal i, I it's, love everything i about i it. was i felt like i was kind of in a miyazaki movie for a little bit <laughs> yes. i was like what's happening here like <laughs> is this real cuz like these are all things that happen like this isn't like no one drew this, but this is happening on screen right now. I really feel like that's a good accurate description of like everything from when they leave the uh when they, you know, post train station to maybe when they get to the friend's house. Yeah, okay. yeah, no, it's very surreal. It feels very, yeah. Um, yeah it, I mean, we, you know, it's not hard to find, you know, Miyazaki's 
you know, uh, influences. I mean, right. He's very upfront about that. But like, it's like to watch that and you're like, wow, they're, they're, that is, this feels so hauntingly familiar. <laughs> right. Right. No, that's very, that is very accurate. Uh, The relationship between those two characters as well. And I don't know if I've decided to be more fair to it because it's Varda writing it, but it feels so much better than any similar relationship in any Goddard or Truffaut movie. Well, you know why that is, right? (laughs) Well, I know. And that's where I I say I don't know if I'm being more fair to it because it's written by a woman. No, I think think the difference that I identified was divorced from that because it's it's all about her and not necessarily his opinion of her. Like, I mean, he talks. Like, he says things, and they are sometimes pretty mean. Uh, they don't. They're not framed that way because he has that. He's meant to talk in ways that seem sort of a, a emotional, right? To a certain extent, like that's part of his character. But like, it, it it's more about her going through this relationship than it is about yeah. him. Yeah, and I think the other half of that is throughout. Even most of it, you know, he doesn't want to see her leave him, hmm. but at the same time, you know, any any sort of movie we've seen that would be described as a battle of the sexes from Bergman right. on on through Goddard and and Truffaut stuff, um, the men always want something out of this in right. a very overt way, right? That is meant to be diametrically opposed to what the women want out of this. These two kind of want the same thing. Yeah. And it's just to figure out what happened and how they can move right. forward if it's even possible for them to move forward. Right. And they do that. Yeah, and it's the right? thing is it I think it's because it's framed as a battle of the sexes, but it's not. It just right. isn't actually a battle. It is yeah. it is it is to me, despite the fact that he is, again, somewhat, like, framed as being somewhat, you know, without, not without emotion, but he's very much purposely played kind of a little bit cold, a little bit dry and cold. Yeah. Um, and they both are. They both like, are. Like, they were specifically told to yes, do that. Exactly. And that's where it gets Bresson-esque in it. Right. right. But. but despite that, you get the, it feels very real in the sense that, like, it doesn't feel like they're in a heated battle, right? Like, they're, yeah. what it's missing from those Battle of the Sexes movies is the violence. Neither of them right. feels like at any point they're going to blow up at each other. Right. You know what I mean? Like, they, they're clearly they, under stress. Like, they're talking like they, people who are under stress. Right. And that's what it really boils down to is they feel like two people who have been emotionally dealing with what's happening for so long already. Yeah. That you feel that relationship. Well, and and I know, really I really love the way it's set up in that we see him uh going to the train station and then we see them walking through town and we never actually see the actual reuniting, right? 
Right. Yeah. Um, well, and, we and, she, and Varda hides that from us, I'm sure, because in a sense, right, that would give away the game, right? If, if right, right. How they <laughs> greet each other would tell you so much. Right. That, like, it would ruin the movie. Yeah. And I, you know, it's not necessarily even all about her. Her? No, that's not. Yeah, no, he, it's not. You know, and her, he gets, his input he, is very important. To right. this discussion. and he gets some very, very interesting things. He said one of the one of the things I really love that he says is, "You listen like I was telling stories about this place where I grew up. You listen like I was telling stories and not my story." Right. That's really my second favorite line. That's a really good line. It really is. It's and it's delivered really well. Like Yeah. What I meant like is that like in a lot of those other Battle of the Sexes films, it really does feel like the conversation is it does tend to lean right heavily towards the male perspective. Whereas this one actually feels more balanced and I guess what you're getting down to is when they feel balanced, it all, like you get in that classic thing where when it when it's <laughs> right. balanced, it feels like it's leaning the other direction. It's actually just balanced, balanced, uh, right, right. And I really think that's that's where it's at. And, and mind you, this this relationship isn't meant to be some sort of battle of the sexes thing. It's just two people having a conversation about their relationship. It's just so many other times, and even in other French New Wave, any conversation about a relationship is automatically. Framed as some battle of the sexes. Right. And I don't the think we've ever seen this kind of discussion right. in a film that we've watched. Right. In, in, right. In, in in the new wave or anything. This is this feels yeah. in many ways wholly unique to me, because yeah. what this legitimately feels like is, like okay, like full disclosure, I've been married a pretty long time at this point. <laughs> right. Uh, I had a conversation about that this afternoon with the person I'm married to. Um, <laughs> About how long you've been married? Yeah, no, we were sitting on the couch. Was, was there disagreement? No, <laughs> no, we were both very well aware of the passage of time. It just was every so often we think we talk about it. And it's like, oh my god, that's a long time. Um, and what it feels like is, I, I, the way I conceptualize this, and I assume this is the way a lot of people would conceptualize this. This feels like there's they are no longer fighting. That, yeah. That, that's over. That I mean that 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 maybe there was a fight at some point in the past. You can feel that there was there's enough especially because of the way it's acted, there feels like there's some tension that they're dealing with. But we're not at yelling, screaming fight mode right. here. We're like now we just have to sort things out. Like you know, they know each other well enough that they don't he's he's not surprised by the things she says, she's not surprised by the things right. he says. So there's no like sudden shock and surprise screaming match, right? It's just, well, we have to sort out what, I mean, right? What do we do? Like, what are we? And that it's a really, fa- it's a really, a, a fascinating conversation. It really was. I was like, wow, it felt really familiar. Like it felt really, yeah. like I was. Right. It, it resonated really, really well, um, and, and, and in a way that the. I've seen we've seen enough films where there are essentially filmed screaming matches, right? With with lots of violent outbursts and things like that. That like they, I mean, those are real too, but they, I think, they get overrepresented in film, yeah, because they're dramatic and interesting to watch, right? But like those aren't if they're common enough that as as per the references in movies. 
that's bad. <laughs> it's yeah. like that's really bad. Right. Yeah. This also feels sort of Bergman esque. Uh, not only in the way they're acting, but also in the fact that she's a blonde woman and he looks <laughs> he looks like a very plain Nordic man too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, yeah, that's but, true. Uh, but the the framing of the ninety degree silhouettes and 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 profile shots uh, really reminds me of Persona is what I think about when I think about those things in Bergman. But Persona didn't come out for eleven years after this, right? Right. Right. So it's not like it's not like those close ups and and angled uh, interactions are. Uh, are borrowing from Bergman in any way, and and Bergman maybe is borrowing from Varda as well. Yeah, maybe. Um, and and I think you know, yeah, I I yeah. could I, I could see that. Like Bergman also yeah. is a we, person with we lots and lots not, of um, right, you know, influences. Yeah, we are not familiar enough with Bergman stuff at the time, right, to know was he doing where, anything remotely like that? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and I think even the earliest Bergman we've watched, uh, uh, which was uh, Sawdust and Tinsel just a few weeks ago, um, was uh, was after this, just post right. this, contemporary to this, really, um, but right around the same time, if if not just after. Uh, so there's that, you know, and just the way they interact. When they're lying in bed together and he says... He says, you'll love oh. me thoroughly. And she says, why not? Do you love me madly? And he says, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, no, it's amazing. But it's, it's just amazing. the nature of the conversation. Like, she's not offended by that. It's just the way uh, yeah, the conversation totally. went. Yeah. yeah. Like, uh. th- those are the things people say. Like, they're, they are, they are, they, they talk, just straight up talk about it. Like, that's the kind of stuff you say in those really early days when, like, it's all passion and 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 that and like, right? There, it is literally just a couple dealing with the fact that those days are over, right? That's not gonna come back, uh, right? And that's and whether or not that's okay or not, right? And like, but that scene, talk about framing that when they're in bed, that's an amazing looking scene. Oh yeah, like I couldn't, I I almost had trouble concentrating on what they were talking about because I couldn't stop looking at the scene. <laughs> right. So. Like, oh, you know, I have to read also. Yeah, you know? it's one, like, of, uh, one of those issues where it ag- actually is a problem that you don't speak French because you gotta, yeah. <laughs> you gotta be. Like, looking I actually down. have to read this also. I need to yeah. know what they're talking about, but I also really just need to look at the image on the screen. Yeah, yeah, gotta uh, watch that one a, a couple lot. of times. Just, <laughs> yeah, just. I was really, I, I was just like dumbstruck by that. Like the, the framing on that was just so beautiful. Like it's like, wow, I'm just looking at a painting. This is just a really fascinating painting uh at this point yeah two things that i thought about while i was watching the movie too though that i that kind of popped into my head when when i was watching is like despite the sort of influence this had on the way like i don't it's fascinating to me that even to this day like you'll see in like modern film you'll see a in like modern commercial film You'll see a director talk about having watched movies like this, right? Yeah. But, like, think about the fact that, like, despite things like the new wave, like, you don't go to the theater. Like, there are not going to be any Marvel movies that feel like this. (laughs) And, like, how, like, despite how influential all this was, there's still this humongous sort of gap and disconnect between sort of, like, 
art film and commercial film that like they yeah. never but you watch this and you're like they'll never there never has been just a like this but made for people to go see by the millions you know i, I don't know it's right, just really right. i don't i didn't like think it all the way through but i started thinking about how fundamentally different and i and i am a big i enjoy those kinds of movies as well a lot but how yeah. fundamentally different on just the most basic level this and avengers 2 is <laughs> like to even like honestly describe them as a part of the same thing yeah is a sort of strange injustice to both of them yeah and sort that of is, as a, yeah. That like, is what? not to denigrate Avengers two no, and, and necessarily. No. no, I mean, Avengers two. I, I, I'm a big Marvel fan, but Avengers. We don't need to talk about it. Not important. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I get but it. like, it's just these aren't even the same thing. Like, and we don't have the vote. We don't. I don't personally possess the vocabulary, and like, I don't feel like a vast majority of my experiences have prepped me to discuss the idea that like. These aren't really the same thing. Like they are called movies or films. <laughs> yeah. But like I guess that's what you get for choosing the media rather than the the style as your primary descriptor. Yeah. I don't know. Um yeah. was one thing I thought about while I was watching this. I just I couldn't like I No, like, that's very interesting because it's just, it, I mean it's true. Yes. Um and that that you know They're not from the same planet. Of, it's like they right. just aren't something maybe I've talked about before uh, with you, if not on the podcast is one thing that the doing this has helped me to realize is the different ways I enjoy something mm, mm, mm. Um, that uh, end game, you know, is <laughs> we're going to really talk about end game. Huh? This is what we're going to do. No, I just, I mean, Endgame is yeah. objectively a bad movie. That's why. From... Yeah, that's why I didn't want to talk about that specific right. one because it's that's not even but a really still, fair one to talk about. It was about. still fun to watch. Right? Yeah, it was. It was. But there yeah. are some that are actually both good movies and fun to watch in that right. pantheon oh, yeah. of films. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but uh, but this movie, like Varda herself, you know, uh, one of one of the pull quotes from those interviews. Uh, that was that she wanted to make a film that was not pleasant to watch, but people would talk about later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, I don't know that this film was unpleasant to watch. No, I don't think so either. Uh, but yeah. I will say this, though. Uh, the other thing I thought about a lot is it makes you realize, though, where the sort of American conception of the of foreign films kind of comes from. <laughs> Well, because, it's mostly Bergman's persona is where Yeah, this is true. Yeah. This is also true. Yeah. But what I but you know, I you know, when I was growing up and especially as I had like there was a sort of like ah it's a French film. Yeah. And then the joke was kind of the universal joke was just a bunch of people talking for three hours or something like that. Yeah. And staring like, at want, the camera in black and white. Right. <laughs> yeah. Again also Bergman, but not, that's not important. Um Yeah. But, like, this is – it's really interesting now that I'm an adult and I find myself in the position to watch things like this that I realize 
somehow both true and utterly unfair to what it was right. that is at the same time. Oh, absolutely. Like, accurate in in the most base level. Yeah. yeah. This movie is at least 50% people just talking to each other. Yeah. yeah. It is gorgeous. Right. And also, they are talking, they are digging into some fundamental natures of relationships as they're talking right. Right. in a really fascinating way. Uh, one that is enlightening to people even as they reflected on their own lives. Yeah. And so it, it's like that statement that I kind of grew up thinking is both 100% accurate and 100% wrong at the exact same time. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, and then to have all of that intercut with uh, a small-town family that are shot realistically and lovingly without some sort of overbearing stereotype about what sort mm. of people these people are uh, is its own delight, too. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's important. Like, the the relationship would be significantly less impactful without them and and vice versa as well like right like they're they're watching them would be enjoyable as its own standalone thing but it would start i think without the relationship talk would start to feel a little contrived yeah they need each other to with both of them provides the one with the sort of the missing piece of the other right um even though they have nothing to do with each other yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. The other way, and perhaps this gets us back to uh, the Kyers do cinema versus left wing or left bank conversation. Uh, the other way this is a, a political film in its background, I think, is that everyone worked, everyone joined a co-op that was yeah. this film production. And uh, and they worked for a percentage of future profits in it being a <coughs> co-op, and then like they never actually made that money. <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah, like, I they mean, never yeah, even that's... made enough money to pay back Varda's mom. Yeah, <laughs> and... I mean, yeah, true. Uh, uh, but you know, I mean, whereas yes. the flip side of that is that, uh, and maybe it was you know flash in a pan stuff at first too. Uh, Goddard and Truffaut made commercially successful works. And Varda and Marker and Resnais were maybe never interested in actually making commercially successful works. Right. You know, Varda's, yeah. Varda gets hired to do specific things for documentaries, and she does those things, and they are successful in that in that way. Uh and I don't want to make this as a, an art versus profit thing. And it is fair to say also that despite being the more commercially successful and therefore more well-known aspect of the French New Wave, uh, the right bank people did go out of their way to point people toward the left bank work, right? Um, right, and 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 there are things in the right bank work that are also pretty. I mean, like 
are fairly strong statements about society in and of themselves right, as well. Right, like, right. I mean, it's, particularly, it's not like they particularly were just moving into d- the 60s. Garbage, yes. you know Absolutely. what I mean? Like, we did, I mean, you know, we, we've talked a lot about Taub uh, Bien. Yeah. Like, yes. Right. That's not exactly like, you know, I mean, there's there's a lot of like pretty heavily political work on yeah. Goddard from there Goddard's, as well. Goddard's left wing political work moving into the late sixties is is very good. I act, legitimately do love. Yeah, it. totally. Huh. And and so like I don't. Yeah, we don't want to paint it as yeah. though it's just like oh these are the real artists and these guys are the shitty guys. Yeah. I mean. Were they just also sometimes shitty guys? guys. Yeah, like, yeah, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so often, but yeah, but like beyond that, they. I mean, it's not quite that, but there is definitely a very clear divide. You can see in sort of like yeah. those of them that seem to decide to make this their, for lack of a better term, job. Yeah, where where they were going to crank out, you know, not crank out because again, very good movies, lots of very good movies, um, versus you know. You know, Varda, there's just, you can just see it when you watch it. You're like, these are not the same thing, even. Even these two things are not the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. They might, one might be influencing the other back and forth, but they are not the same thing. But then to, to stereotype the left bank is all older when. When Varda's two, what? Varda's two uh, years older than Goddard, four years older than Truffaut, and Romer was born 10 years before any of them. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like yeah, Resnais, Resnais and Marker were both born in the early twenties. Romer was born actually in nineteen twenty. Uh, yeah, it's just it's it's very silly that they were pitted against each other in. I mean, not even in a necessarily overt way, but just in in the way that Truffaut, Goddard, Romer, and the rest of them making stories about men that were a lot of battles of the sexes sort of things uh man they they were making a commercially viable product in mid-century france right right exactly and then and like, that's and that's the nature of it really right and and you know even when they try to be you know and and we see that in in modern art and and things that, you know it's like they are to a certain extent writing what they know yeah and what they know because they are you know, middle class white are, men. Right. Right. <laughs> what they are making is also what they know is also very sellable. Yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah. No, absolutely. And then again, I you know, even within France, like a movie that is fifty percent people talking and having a conversation like this very is probably, you know, as we talked nobody wanted to release this movie. And I don't think it was necessarily politics as much as it was like you watch this and you're like, if you're like a person trying to sell tickets to a movie theater, you're probably like, mm, I don't know if like, are people going to go like out in droves to watch two people have a conversation and then also watch some fishermen talk about their, you know, have natural conversations with each other about their lives. Right. Right. That doesn't sound super commercially viable. And this wasn't commercially viable. Right. Yeah. As demonstrated by the fact that, that it was too. released in a theater. <laughs> yeah. And attended by exclusively, as far as I could tell, the rest of the future new wave. <laughs> right. <laughs> like all her friends. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. every all her friends of friends. Um, yeah. I do I do love this movie. I look forward to yeah. uh next week we will be talking about um the other film we haven't seen in four films by by Varda already. 
Le Bonheur. Uh, well, actually, we'll have a guest for that one uh, in a ascended uh, supporter who uh, wanted to be on this episode. And, <laughs> ascended is and a very strong word here. Wow. Oh. <laughs> he has he crossed has be, over. He's crossed he's over to become us one with upper us. Upper echelons. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you don't know. You don't want to know how much you have to pay per month to get this thing. To get this advantage. Uh, it turns out it's actually just pretty average. I mean, uh, you don't actually not to, have to pay not us to downplay anything, the actually. I mean, we're, you could probably convince us to come on our show without paying us. Anything, I have honestly from from the very beginning. My stance on guests on this show has been, hey, if you see a movie that you like and want to talk about, let me know. Yeah. (laughs) No. uh, Yeah. And we stand by that. Like, and I still stand by that. So uh, if we can work out the scheduling, we will. Yeah. If you're willing to wake up, unfortunately, the scheduling is really the big problem. (laughs) Right. Yeah. If you're like, keep in mind, we do the the timing on this is astonishingly bad. I am always about to pass out. Yeah, and, and I am always just waking up. Yes. Pat and I are are thirteen hours apart right now, and uh, and during daylight savings time, uh, you know, twelve hours apart. Uh, elsewise, mm, 14. 14, 14 actually, it does go it, the other it fluctuates way. Fluctuates yeah. from fourteen to thirteen. It never gets better. Yeah. It only gets worse. Right. It only gets worse. Uh, so yeah, timing it is is always difficult. But if we can pitch in, uh, which yeah. is Again, very hard to do, if you're willing to wake very up hard to do with time. a West Coaster. So, <laughs> well, no, we figured it out though. We sorted it. We did. We, we did. Got it covered. And look Luckily, forward I'm not to teaching classes right now. So, yeah, yeah that helps. Look forward to uh, Adam Speakerman joining us next week for Le Bonheur. And then we'll finish up that box set with, uh, with a couple of uh, uh, short films and also the five minute uh, narrative short that Cleo goes to see in Cleo from five to seven. Oh, then I have to watch it before. Yeah, you really should just to remind just yourself to remind of what myself we're how that fits into anything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, that short film that stars Goddard or co-stars Goddard too. So you know they were friends. Like like there's no there's no setting up some sort of dichotomy. But Goddard was also a jerk in a lot of ways. Yeah. So like yeah. Anyway, uh, look forward to that. And uh, yeah, this week we've been talking about Le Point Court. Uh, from 1955, shot in 54, maybe released in 56. It's a little iffy. But doesn't uh, seem like it was ever really released. I mean, <laughs> maybe never really released until no- 2008. Uh, yeah. Even though everyone saw it and then <laughs> started their own movies. Uh, but yeah, it was really great. Very glad to talk uh, talk about it. Uh, thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, Leon Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oitari Dorgan. And we'll see you next time.
You've been listening to Lost in Criterion, hosted by John Patrick Oatari Dorgan and the Adam Glass, who edits it. We're a production of WithTwoBrains.com. Jonathan Hape does the music. Check him out at JonathanHape.Bandcamp.com. And hey, if you like us, why don't you give us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and support us on Patreon. That's Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. We'd appreciate it.